spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. Brought to you by Lincoln Mercury. Nobody has more kinds of cars for more kinds of people. See them at the sign of the cat. By Goodyear, makers of the custom steel guard radial tire. And by State Farm Mutual. Almost anywhere you live, there's a State Farm agent nearby. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. they can't even fathom. They turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door, as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers and sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball mark the time this field this game it's a part of our past Ray it reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again oh people will come Ray people will most definitely come welcome to two old farts talk sci-fi I'm David Clank and I'm Troy Harkin. Um, today's um, episode uh, is part two, actually. It looks at sports and science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And we're calling it The Spec Sports Spectacular. Spec- 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is, <laughs> this is part two. I don't know how that worked. It may have been the best thing we've ever done. 
And, and we're really course, pumped up for the second half of the game. We are ready to give 125%. Yeah, we're surrounded by large throngs. Uh, but anyways, uh, so this is uh, part two of our two-part episode. We're recording it on Monday, May 29th. We're broadcast on Saturday, July 8th. And Troy did give a spoiler alert at the beginning uh-huh. of part one. We're recording the session via Zoom. And by the way, Troy, thanks for inserting that quote from the uh, movie Field of Dreams, uh, James Earl Jones in the role of Terrence Mann. Is that an amazing speech or or what? But, uh, imagine if he had read it like Darth Vader. Oh, that, that would have been something. Right. That would have been. Yes. It's a whole lecture. Yeah. $20 per person. As long as he doesn't read it like Anakin, young Anakin, that would be awful. Oh, no. Okay. I really have to stop with this, my, my jingoism or whatever, but you know, uh, the field of dreams comes to us from the book Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella. Canadian. So isn't it funny that that this like this wonderful soliloquy that uh, James Earl Jones reads is written by a Canadian about you know baseball in America. But, yeah, I'm trying to find my notes on um, unless I I passed over it the uh, field of dreams because um, sometimes people don't think about it as sort of a, a genre film. Uh, it certainly has got that fant the fantasy elements the um uh yeah well and as you may recall when we we being you and I when you and I um did our top 10 fantasy films list i had it at number 6 and i believe you had it there too but i'm not sure where it was but so let's just say that we did we we did we're a team so yeah, and I was you thinking did. also that when you talk about sports and something that is fantasy, certainly it was that one where you know, um, do you want to do you want a, a box of chocolates or whatever it was? It was uh, Tom Hanks in. Um, oh uh, right, he was Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump and Forrest yeah. Gump, of course, is a fan. Like like the kinds of things that he did and whatever it was hit that kind of mythic kind of. Almost like um, uh, what Borges would do, where you could suddenly fly or do magical, right. like magic realism. Basically, it reaches right. that magic realism sense, just like big fish and so on. But there's a lot of sport in Forrest Gump. That's right. And in fact, when he won the Oscar for that, he he won one for the Gumper. Oh, <laughs> oh, more lingerie. Uh-oh, oh, it's an undefined lower body injury to David Klink. He's on the uh, disabled list for the following two weeks. Yeah. We'll have to call up Ira, Ira Naiman. Yes. Yes, as our third third fart. Or Adrian right. Kress, who's our fourth fart. But you're right about Field of Dreams. It is a uh, – it's basically like a Twilight Zone story, right? I mean, you could you could cut that thing down into a 30-minute Twilight Zone episode pretty easily. So uh, if we're talking Twilight Zone, clearly we're talking uh, genre and, and the realm of fantasy. I found it odd, though, uh, Troy, just if I jump in for a second, because I would rate it up there with um, – a couple of those, you know, those King stories that made it to movies that did very well, like, mis- like Misery, like of that yeah. level, like, like that right. good, 
like Stand by Me, and and, yeah. and the other the, the the biggest one is the um what do you Shawshank? call it? Shawshank is such yeah. a great iconic film. Now, if I were to look up ratings for those films, I think it would be high because this one an IMDb for Field of Dreams was like a seven point five, and I thought that seemed what? so. I went in, no, I went in and put my ten in there. Like I said, I have to put it up. And by the way, that changed it from 7.5 to 7.5. Like it actually didn't really oh, change it based on right. the number of people that have, we need sure. more people to put in high rate, but how can it be like, unless just some of the audience just didn't get it. And don't relate to baseball. So therefore, hmm. I don't know, but, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Or I don't know. <laughs> Clearly Troy does not know. Um, it, it could also be parental things where, you know, people don't necessarily have great relationships with their parents and don't want to think about people who are having that sort of uh, um, redemption. Again, going back to Shawshank. Or like um, like a couple of friends of mine who couldn't take um, a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, just because of the surrealistic and the kind of interesting things that they did fighting in the, in the bamboo and doing right. all of these kinds of things. So the fact that he can actually be walking down the street and suddenly meet someone from 50 years ago, kind of thing. And all of the, just the odd yeah. interesting elements in it. And someone says who is too related to reality and can't make that, that step probably also someone that wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten twilight zone either. Right. And, you know, as we have discussed previously, when we were, doing our plan nine um, show, you know, everybody, you know, loves every, every film out there, somebody it's going to be their favorite film, even if it's like hated by most people. And, and the opposite of that is true as well. Um, so I'm just surprised 2.5 people, uh, you know, didn't give it a favorable rating. You remember um, those those people that would like those people. That's a terrible thing to say. But people who worked in video stores that had the thing, like they had their name and then they had their favorite film written yeah. below their name, right? Wherever that, like, like whatever that that chain was, Blockbuster or something. That's right. Yeah, and I've seen it at Cineplex too. Oh, at Cineplex because you know, and you you have to be careful. You can't just you know put your voice your own ideas about things like like the time i saw someone who had their their name on the badge and what women want as their favorite film and it's very hard to keep your darn mouth closed to say well what how many films have you seen and what is it about that film that makes it your favorite film? like everyone as you said has their own like like what touches them or what makes them what that relates to them and maybe even watching older twilight zone episodes 20 or 30 years down the road you suddenly say well because i've had that experience with this person or my father or, or, or right. whatever the thing is or an older person gets this more than someone who's younger um you can't really diss on anyone who has a favorite um thing we could just give them odd looks for their choices but anyway <laughs> that's um, right we can just talk behind their backs about it oh no <laughs> yeah you know so and so really does like that whatever yeah, i'm actually the, I the could... poetry of it though it's, it's just the oh, writing 
Right. Now, let me let me just give folks who maybe were in a coma at the time or whatever, but uh, Field of Dreams uh, was released in 1989. It was written and directed by Phil Alden Robinson, who only directed four films after Field of Dreams. Uh, the film was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it starred Kevin Costner as Ray Kinsella, Ray Liotta as Shoeless Joe Jackson, who was actually a, a ball player from the Chicago White Sox of the 1919 era. Uh, James Earl Jones plays writer Terrence Mann, as you have mentioned. Amy Madigan plays the wife of Ray, Annie. And Burt Lancaster, oh my God, is just so fantastic. Uh, he plays uh, Moonlight Graham, Doc Graham. Uh, this player uh, who only had one game up in the big leagues and I believe never got an at-bat. And that was it. He was sent back to the minors and he had a wonderful, glorious uh, career as a doctor instead and changed many lives. But in the film, he gets to have that one at-bat. And I have frickin' uh, my hair is standing on my arms because it's such a great film. Um, so many you know, great moments. In yeah, it. and even watching it again, in tro- like like with our sense of today, and I got a bit emotional because we got Ray Liotta, who passed away just in the last year or so. Right. And just watching him and his performance as Shoeless Joe and how, like, I don't know if he was a known act. Like, I thought that was an early role for him. And he is so good. And yes. I'm thinking about him having with the career that he had and passing on, and he's playing this ghost from the past who wants another shot. And, you know, his question, which is just such a powerful, like, is this heaven? I mean, wow. That's right. And so what makes this genre, for those who don't know, again, is that uh, our main character, Ray Kinsella, begins hearing these voices that are saying to him, if you build it, he will come. And he doesn't know what the it is, and he doesn't know who the he is. Um, and he ponders and ponders and then decides that if he if he uh, plows down a portion of his cornfield and builds a baseball diamond, he will come. He still doesn't know who he is. Uh he later assumes that it's the writer Terrence Mann, who was one of his favorite writers, who has been in seclusion for, I guess, at that point, 20 years. Um, and he decides also that at some point he's going to have to go and basically kidnap him to bring him back to the field. Um, so this is the, oh, and I guess initially he, he has Shoeless Joe Jackson returns. The ghost of Shoeless Joe Jackson comes out of the cornfield and uh, plays on the diamond, but only Ray and his family can see these ball players. So this is what makes it uh, a genre story. Um, and it's fabulous. Uh, and I'm, I really don't want to uh, get into a spoiler on this one because if you somehow have not seen it, you must. And I do not want to ruin that ending for you. Uh, I will say that yes, I am a 58 year old, six foot four, uh, 200 plus 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 pounds, and I bawl like a little baby every time the, the final couple of minutes of that film uh, are played out. 
I, I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, same thing happened with me. I mean, just, you know, with the various characters and, and James Earl Jones, especially. He's one of my favorite actors, and we'll certainly be talking a, a bit about him in season five when Ira returns and we look at Dr. Strangelove, because that's an early film of James Earl Jones. Yes. Um, and, and of course, James Earl Jones is one of the great actors and him in, um, Fences, which is, of course, a non-genre one, but it's just such a brilliant, but he is such a great actor and just his reaction, you know, and a wonderful moment, which isn't really that much of a spoiler, but when, when Timothy Busfield, who of course we remember from 30 something, when he said, when, when someone says, Oh, this is, uh, Terrence Mann. And then he says, yeah, and I'm the tooth fairy or whatever, like, like <laughs> right. something like that. And the reaction of James Earl Jones laughing, giggling, yeah. sitting on that bench or whatever it was with just that's priceless. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's so good. Well, I, it's one of those films that I do consider a perfect film where, you know, every scene leads into just another perfect scene. And there's not even like, a moment where you go, well, you could you could cut off five seconds from the scene. You can't. It's just a perfect film. Uh, one of the things that makes it so good is the music. We did touch on James Horner in our last episode, but the, the music for Field of Dreams is by James Horner. He also gave us uh, Star Trek, Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Aliens, Titanic, and Something Wicked This Way Comes. Um, it occurred to me that he is probably around number five of my all-time favorite music composers. Um, I wanted to mention, too, that um, this is another one of those instances of the art affecting real life. Major League Baseball now holds an annual regular season game on the Field of Dreams field in Dyersville, Iowa, which is the actual... Um, property where the film was made. Uh, now they have stands, which they didn't really in the, uh, in the film. They just had, a, I think, one or two little bleachers, like four rows of bleachers, but, um, it's still, it's a small stadium. It's like, I think there's fewer than 10,000 seats available. And then immediately in the outfield beyond the wall is the corn and it's a short fence. So you see the corn poking up. Um, in the outfield. It's really, uh, it's meant to be very much a magical experience to go to one of those games. I would love to uh, go to see that. Um, one of the things, uh, and certainly if, if you haven't seen the film that if any of our listener, uh, listeners certainly go and, you know, rent it and see it. But the idea is, is that they are bringing back people from the, the Black Sox, which is what sort of like the Sugar White Sox, but they were called the Black Sox because they had thrown a game or a gate in the World Series just so they could take, take, you know, they were taking bets against themselves for winning, which is really about as unsportsmanlike as you can. The Shoeless Joe, they, they, they said wasn't part of it because he had played so well and probably wouldn't buy in on it, but he sort of was. Um, but part of it is this game that they play, this annual or whatever it was. I think I saw a video of like they actually had Kevin Costner and maybe some other people from the film there at the, when they, when they started it up again. Plus they are playing in old style, um, you know, the stuff from the twenties, the Chicago White Sox and whatever the two teams were. 
from that World Series, maybe they were dressed up as those kinds right. of you know, I'm not sure if they would use the same glove or not. That's a right, pretty the old baggy, glove. the old baggy uniforms. Yeah, and you're right. No, it was those little, you know, barely a glove, like an oven mitt type of glove. <laughs> yeah. And for those who um, are interested in what David was just talking about, the whole 1919 Black Sox scandal, there's an excellent film by writer-director John Sayles, one of Ira Naiman's favorite directors. Um, it's called Eight Men Out. And God, it's got an incredible cast. Like, you'll, you'll watch it and you will recognize everybody who has a speaking part in that film. And there's a lot of speaking parts because we're talking about two different baseball teams. Um, anyway, you can't, you can't lose with that film. And it certainly makes a great double bill with um, Field of Dreams. But, of course, the other one that makes a great double bill is the other Kevin Costner uh, great baseball film, which is Bull Durham. Um, in fact, those are probably my three favorite baseball films right there. Yeah, and Bull Durham doesn't have the same, you know, it doesn't have that magic realism or no. doesn't have that thing, but it does really capture baseball. That, and of course, A League of Their Own and, um, is another great one. Or maybe that's the one you just mentioned, but, um, yeah, Bull Durham, you know, like breathing through your eyelids and all these little iconic right. little lines and stuff is, is so much fun. Yeah, it's a perfect, in terms of like all of the little minutiae of baseball, it's just perfect. So Dave, now if you're the coach here and you've got to put a player into the game, um, our choice is right now between the running man and the hunger games. Who did you want to put in first? Well, if I were to compare the film, because I watched them again just very recently. In fact, with hunger games, I can't believe it. I actually watched all four films just in the last week. Um, and I'd never, I don't think I had ever really seen the fourth one. Like I saw Mockingjay part one or whatever. So I just watched them again. That first one is still a standout. Um, it's not really much of a comparison because Hunger Games well, no. blows away <laughs> Running no. Man. It's not even close. Uh, other than the Richard Dawson is just great. There's a lot of great and fun stuff. You just have to put your brain on a shelf. Running Man has a lot. <laughs> Yes, a lot going for it, and it's a lot of fun. But it's no Hunger Games, which is which is basically I don't know how well known or if she was just someone that they had just tried out. But Jennifer Lawrence is sort of like a career changer for her, um, that really put her on the map. Just like you know, Guardians of the Galaxy put Chris Pratt and so on. Like the various people that were fairly early in their careers that they gave a big movie to that really hit out of the park and have done very well since. Yeah, I, I I saw the four films with my daughter, who was a big fan of the books. And it's amazing how, I guess, maybe the only time this had ever happened, well, let's not say ever, but the last time this had happened was with the Harry Potter series, where a book would come out, a film would get made, and like it would, it, the, the film would come out before the next book. And then that film, that book would get made into a film. Like they, they all came out, uh, really quickly. Um, let's see. I, I actually said the trilogy of Hunger Games books by Suzanne Collins were published between 2008 and 2010. And the films, uh, were released between 2012 and 2015. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Along with Jennifer Lawrence, uh, I really liked Woody Harrelson, uh, Donald Sutherland as President Snow. 
And I, probably my favorite element to the whole thing is, uh, well, at least with the films, are uh, Stanley Tucci as mm. Caesar Flickerman, who is like the uh, the TV MC of the whole thing. Um, and for folks who don't know, again, the Hunger Games is basically a compulsory televised battle royale death match. Um, where uh, I guess there was a there was a rebellion in this one area, and now people from that area are forced to compete for the uh, televised enjoyment of others, and they battle each other to the death. Um, yeah, yeah, it's sort of like 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 two men enter, one man leave, and in, in uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which we'll get to uh, a bit later. Um, the idea of this kind of death match is quite amazing, especially when you have from 12 different districts, two people from East. That's 24 players. Um, that's a lot of players. Yeah. Um, and the idea of that compared to rollerball, the idea that you can actually have some that becomes it because in rollerball, it's also televised. So you actually see what's going on. There's some very powerful moments, like when Rue, the, the, the young black girl, um, Spoiler alert, of course, um, what happens with her and just how people react and the, the whole idea of empathy and the things similar to the Harry Potter thing, choosing sides, knowing right from wrong and you you cheering on the hero and hoping that they do well. Same thing with Jonathan E. And the fact that they're the people that are in power are the ones trying to hold us down. And it's also against individuality, creativity and comradeship and an icon and people being able to stand up and fight authority. So I think these films are sort of similar in that way. And, you know, if we're talking about similarities of people being forced to compete on something that is televised, then um, I think I, I think I have to talk about the running man a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I, 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 I worry about it. Like, you know, I know that parents in in uh, the past used to worry about having drugs or drug use depicted on TV because they worried that it would be glorifying that thing and it might lead their child to uh, to actually dabble in drugs. And I, I worry that by talking about The Running Man too much, uh, you I, I don't want to encourage anybody to dabble in this film, really. Um, it's it's really you have to be a certain type of person to have a certain inner strength to come through the a viewing of the running man unscathed in the year 2017 an innocent man accused of a crime has a choice hard time or prime time sensational perfect contestant i want him he must pay or play the running man on your mark i'll be back rated TV show in history. Guess they want us to stay. It's a game between life and death. Can you lift? Schwarzenegger is 
said in a near future dystopia, Stephen King's alias Richard Bachman gave us the story of a show like The Amazing Race, where people who need cash must desperately fight their way through an inner city hellscape and either kill or be killed to reach the finish line. Of course, it is all televised for the masses. Now, the book was adapted in the 1980s and starred Arnold Schwarzenegger as the protagonist. Now, while the book is dark with an ending that foreshadows 9-11, the film is kind of uh, glib yet watchable, like the kind of thing that King was trying to warn us about in the first place. Um, And the movie feels more like American Gladiators than um, I think what King was going for. But uh, there's some really interesting things that that are a part of this. Um, First of all, there's actual athletes that, that are on the game show trying to kill the contestants. So Jim Brown, the NFL Hall of Famer, plays Fireball. Jesse, the body Ventura, the wrestler, plays Captain Freedom. Uh, and then we get some musicians like Mick Fleetwood is in it from Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Dweezil Zappa is also in it. And we get um, probably the best thing about this in terms of performance is Richard Dawson as the host Killian. Um, and of course, we do get the, the fabulous Yafet Koto, who on our alien show or uh, maybe it was our horror show, I could not say Yafet Koto. So I'm going to say Yafet Koto, Yafet Koto, Yafet Koto, Yafet Koto, Yafet Koto. There we go. Uh, he's in it as well. Um, so yeah, we all David, love him. We all love him from Homicide Life on the Street, of course. Um, David, but yeah, that, I was just going to say just real quickly and then feel free to jump in. That sounds like one of our Schrodinger's cast lists. You know, <laughs> like if you said, yes, <laughs> Mick Fleetwood is in it. Dweezil Zappa is in it. Richard Dawson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jim Brown, Jesse the Body Ventura. And Yafet Kodo, you know, like that just sounds one of our crazy uh, Schrodinger's cast lists, I think. Well, when we do, because I think we do need to do a proper, a full one episode on Field of Dreams, mm-hmm. those people cast in the Field of Dream characters would actually work, I think. Okay, maybe not. But <laughs> you're right, it does sound sound a bit odd. Yeah. And then some of the other weird things we get, um, I mean, I know it's the 1980s and the 1980s and into the 1990s were all about the cheesy one-liners, especially in action films. And we get so many bad one-liners in this, like, need a lift. We get, uh, um, he, he sets somebody on fire, says, how about a light? And then, what a hothead. And he even recycles the line, I'll be back. Yes. Um, yes. And well, it's even his other film, like Commando and stuff, he has these ones, you know, um, lit off some steam, you yeah. know, when he throws that thing pipe through this guy's chest at the end of the film, it just destroyed Commando for people. But yes, there are those one liners that you have to do in action films. Yeah. And when he kills uh, the character Sub Zero, he says, now plane zero. <laughs> and, 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 and we get a music by Harold Faltermeyer, who I believe did Axel F, right? From Miami Vice, is that right? Sounds about right. From yeah. and I think Axel F was from um the the um um Eddie Murphy film um from um Beverly Hills Cop. 
I think you said Miami Vice, but but Axel F was from uh, Beverly Hills Cop, wasn't it? The Axel. Oh, Foley. you're right. No, you're right. That's true. We need that buzzer. We need that yep. buzzer back. Yep. Um, and uh, Paula Abdul did the choreography, um, and because there's these dancers for the show that look like the solid gold dancers. So again, you have to be of a certain era to know what the solid gold dancers are. But check it out on YouTube. You'll see the similarity. Um, so it's very much of its time, uh, that film. Yes. And I think, you know, when you talk about announcers of people, it reminds me also, of course, it's not a genre film, but with, um, Adam Sandler and that golf film and, and you have, um, Happy Gilmore, Happy Gilmore. <laughs> uh, it's not like that slasher film, I should say, but that golf film and, <laughs> Uh, you've got, um, um, I have to try to remember his name now, Bob, um, Barker, Barker showing up. So, but, but definitely just for Richard Dawson, and I don't know if it was you mentioning that Richard Dawson, because I had forgotten Richard Dawson, of course, it was in Hogan's Heroes. Yes. And I had completely forgotten that, you know, because I was always thinking of the main couple leads in it, but you're right. He was, that's probably where he got his start mainly was from that thing and then of course he was on that actual like it's kind of cool having him as his because it's basically what he does on the game show that he was hosting it's sort of like he's the host and he does it so well that's right and um let's not forget too that uh this film was directed by uh, paul michael glazer who was um starsky of starsky and hutch fame um, and he was the fourth director. I, I was watching the commentary today. He was the fourth director on this film. Three other directors were let go before they went with him. And, and I think two of them had sh- shot, uh, scenes for the film and then they were fired. Um, but, wow. uh, he, he got it made. He got, he got it made. So, uh, you know what? I, and I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean, getting a film made is not an easy chore all the time. I've been listening recently to like the struggles that went into the first few uh, Star Trek films. And it's like sometimes it's just a miracle that these films are actually completed when you get so many uh, people butting heads and whatnot. And we've we heard stories, too, as when we were doing our um our Buckaroo Bonsai story. Sometimes just, you know, producers want to, I mean, they do run the show, but they want to run every element of the show. And then, you know, they just want to go to battle with uh, every uh, creative department. So it's amazing that these things come together at all. Now, I can't remember if it was this film or another film that it actually didn't do as well at the box office. Like most of the ones you had been mentioning cost X amount and made like 10 times that or five or 10 times that with this one. I just can't recall if this was one of those ones that did not earn out. It's, um, oh, I just can't remember. I do have the numbers on that. Let me, let me look here. Oh, don't tell me I don't. Hold on. I must. The budget was, uh, 27 million and it made 38.1 million. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and it does have a healthy, uh, I guess, reputation as a cult film, too. So people do continue to seek it out. Um, One of the things that got me with the casting of Arnold was that in the book, it's supposed to be uh, the main character is kind of scrawny and malnourished. 
And so it's just really funny that they went totally the opposite way with, with this character who is like, you know, uh, the Superman <laughs> incarnate. Um, it's yeah, like, and watching it again was neat. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's, it's opposite. Like, like he is not. It's like he was uh, Captain America before he went into that device to, uh, right. to turn him into Chris <laughs> Evans or whoever it was. Maybe that's what happened, David. I think you figured it out. Yeah, yeah, he went into Stephen, that device. Stephen King created the character, then Starsky put him into that machine, and yes. and, and then we get the pumped up uh, Arnold. Yeah. Um. We almost I, need an episode just on Arnold Schwarzenegger and his genres, like what we did with Bruce Willis uh, at some point, because he's done his share of genre films, some better than others, but certainly even Conan, um, everything. He's just done so many of them. It's just, you know, with, with genre elements in it. We will probably, I guess, get to uh, Quidditch in a little bit. But can I give you a couple of quick just uh, little listing things here? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, first of all, I'm going to give you my – this is just sort of off the top of my head. I, I just sort of uh, tried to come up with as many genre-related sports teams. So these are teams that have a nickname that somehow ties in with genre. Uh, so first of all, we get the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and they are given that name, obviously, because of Poe, because Poe was from Baltimore, and uh, they'd already uh, the NFL in Baltimore had already screwed up their team, the Baltimore Colts. <laughs> yeah, they and, became what the Indianapolis. Like once they yeah, moved, they said, yeah. "I don't know." That, that's one of the things, Troy. I think we've talked about before. Like that, that you know, maybe your team might come back. So don't be the fan that says, "Well, you need to keep the Colts. You need to keep that name because you've lost it now." Right. And briefly, believe it or not, the the um, well, there was a Baltimore team in the CFL when there was a, a, a brief period of uh, American expansion into the Canadian Football League, and Baltimore was glad to have a team, and so uh, they tried to go with uh, the CFL Colts, but the NFL wouldn't uh, put up with that, so they went with Stallions. So the CFL Baltimore team was the Baltimore Stallions for a few years before they moved to Montreal. Um, we've got the Seattle Kraken, which comes to us from Norse mythology. Um, Toronto Raptors, which uh, came to us in the early 90s. Um, clearly, that was on the whole wave of Jurassic Park. Um, New Jersey Devils. Um, that is a... I guess, mythological flying biped with hooves. And the X-Files did a great episode in their first season, season one, episode five, called The New Jersey Devil. Um, the Cleveland Browns, for those who may not know, does not refer to their colors, but they were originally just called the Brownies. And a, a brownie is uh, basically an imp or a pixie, a hobgoblin of Scottish folklore. And uh, sometimes you see that little... Uh, like their cute logo of the Cleveland Brownie. Right. Um, and I, this is a stretch, but both the Houston Astros and the Houston Rockets, I said, you can't have sci-fi without stars and rockets. So I threw them onto the list and clearly the Washington Wizards. Um, and there, I don't think there's others. I don't know if you can think of any day, but those are the ones that I came up with. Well, one thing, I mean, it's sort of like mythology and stuff, and some of that can be considered sort of a fantasy, but the Toronto Argonauts, right? where you got like Jason True. the Argonauts. Yeah. How could I miss that? Yeah. No, that's right. 
Um, and then I just have a quick list of different sports that, you know, the, the movies are not based around them. As well, although actually some of them they are. Um, it's more like there's scenes that involve the sport. So with hockey, I had Black Christmas. There's a scene at Varsity Arena uh, at the U of T um, where we see uh, a scene actually takes place with the goalie on the ice talking to uh, uh, another character on the other side of the glass. Right. Strange, strange brew. I love the scene in Strange Brew, the Bob and Doug McKenzie film, which is not, it's not genre, but uh, let me make a, let me make a, an argument for it. The, the hockey players look like stormtroopers. There's a, a black team of stormtroopers versus a white team of stormtroopers. And like, I'm actually amazed that, that Lucas didn't sue them because they really do look like stormtroopers. And um, the big baddie in the film is Max Van Cito. So, I mean, you've got Father Mare in there. Mm. Uh, you know, so for me, that's it's uh, the genre of bona fides. Um, and again, good God, I mentioned Batman and Robin, the film, far too often. But that's also with Mr. Freeze, which is uh, Arnold. And uh, it opens up with uh, these hockey henchmen and so many, so many bad one-liners. Basketball, we've got, and if you have other states, please throw them in. Um, For sure. uh, Basketball, uh, Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. The two Space Jam films, clearly they're all about basketball. Uh, Football, I, I didn't have as many that came to mind, but. Heaven Can Wait, which was a remake. The one I'm thinking of is the one from the 70s with um, Warren Beatty. Yeah, Warren Beatty, yeah. Yeah, uh, Heaven Can Wait with Warren Beatty. He's in the remake from the 70s. I almost called it a remix. Did that have James Mason in it? Yes, I believe so. I think he was like the angelic guy. That was a really good film. Yeah, yeah, and he was the quarterback for the L.A. Rams at that point. Yeah, he owned a team and he said, you know, just put me in for the hut. Actually, protect me this time because they were just letting the people through. But there's a lot to, to that film. I did like that um, uh, film. And of course, it was a remake. You're right. There was something from like the, the 30s or 40s that it was uh, uh, Mr. Jordan or whatever it was called. Yeah. Um, and I believe both The Dark Knight Rises and Batman v Superman have uh, have scenes that include uh, games with like Metropolis versus Gotham, Gotham City, and uh, baseball. There's a few more. We obviously we've talked about Field of Dreams. Uh, there's Angels in the Outfield. That was also remade. There's a 1951 version and a 1994 version with Christopher Lloyd and Danny Glover and a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And Quiet Place Two begins with a scene of of ball when the aliens first uh, arrive. And in Dr. Sleep, there is a, the scene with Baseball Boy, if you know the film. Um, oh, my gosh, it's chilling. Uh, and it starts with uh, him playing. They call him Baseball Boy because he wears a baseball uniform. But you see him playing baseball uh, before his demise. Just wanted to mention that uh, there's multiple Stephen King connections uh, to baseball, including the short story Blockade Billy and King's nonfiction uh, co-authored book on the Boston Red Sox, Faithful. So that's what I have for that bit, Dave. Well, I'll throw have? in, I'm going to throw in, um, throw in. baseball. 
um, an episode called Home, which many fans of X Files would be aware of. It's probably one of the most. It's probably in the top five of the most famous. That gets a very visceral, and I think there may have been some some places in the states that refuse to actually even air it. But uh, basically, this is the episode. The, the description online or in IMD, wherever it was, said. Um, uh, with the remains of a murdered, deformed infant leads the agents to a family of murderous inbred animal-like uh, brothers living a, um, on a secluded farm in a remote section of Pennsylvania. And the music in that episode, one of the things that's sort of understated, it's it just, it's one of those X-Files episodes where the music is a character that runs through the whole thing. But basically the reason why I mentioned this for baseball is that at the very beginning of the episode, there's these kids playing baseball and there's a little home plate there. And the kid is tapping with his baseball bat home plate keeps hitting it. And the plate is bending a bit. And then there's blood coming up because there's an actual body of this deformed remains of a deformed infant, which brings somehow brings uh Mulder and Scully in there, but that's definitely a baseball connection there. For sure. I thought you were going to say that it was there because, um, you know, basically all baseball fans are inbred killers. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Um, and I picked up, I'd forgotten about this, that um, from uh, Deep Space Nine, Captain Cisco kept the baseball on his desk. Which is pretty obscure. That's right. And they did mention, I think it was even in the very first episode, which was, which was pretty good. The, um, uh, now I have to try to remember. I used to have all of them memorize the name of the episode, but the very first, you know, two part episode that brought out Deep Space Nine, there is actual baseball and him playing or, or talking about it, um, as an actual game. So th- I think that was in that. And while we're on track, should we mention the game? Parisi Squares? For sure. Uh, Do you you, you want to go for that? Um, Well, I don't quite. I mean, other than it was that the one that had that these sticks that have the big round things at the end and they're just trying to hit each other. Or is this a different? I don't. Yeah. As far as I know, it was never actually. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Enacted. Um, It was only ever referred to. Part of what I have here is from Wikipedia, so I'm just I'm just fessing up. Uh, this is what I have. Parisi Squares is a vigorous athletic game mentioned in several episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation and Voyager. It is often implied that the game involves a high risk of serious personal injury. Nevertheless, much to the concern of parents, the game was quite popular with teenagers during the 24th century. The game involves the use of a piece of equipment called an iron mallet and a ramp, and players often wear special padded uniforms. While healing a deep cut on William Riker's face, Dr. Beverly Crusher lectured him, quote, to stop playing Parisi Squares as if you're 21, further advising him that, quote, one day you'll break your neck and I won't be able to heal that is easily, end of quotes. While in Starfleet Academy, Harry Kim played Parisi Squares and was the Academy champion three times. So that's our uh, Parisi yeah. Squares reference. And well, I said, yeah. was it was, uh, I, I just hope that uh, they include that Parisi Squares was created by J.P. Parisi, former NHL All-Star. Oh, no. 
But um, I think they did actually show some of it, if I if I have it right, because there's an episode where Riker is dealing with his father, and they're actually playing the game. And if what's weird with Precy Squares is that there's something that's sort of hiding, like you can't always see what the opponent's doing. And it turns out that Riker realizes his father had been cheating and had actually this the only way he could actually beat Riker was to be able to cheat at the game. But the reason the father did that was to make him a stronger individual and to build up his character and make him the man that he would become. It was that kind of, these were not great episodes, Um, but they did show the actual weapon that they use and so on. So there is a bit more than them saying that has never been um, shown. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of notes before we, uh, you know, get into some other things. And we are, I guess, we're at least in the third quarter here, um, approaching the fourth quarter, probably. Um, these are just uh, my notable notes. I've got, uh, I mentioned Bill the Spaceman Lee because he was nicknamed the Spaceman. He was an expo in a Red Sox and by all accounts, a real cool guy. Um, the wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper started in John Carpenter's They Live. Yeah. Um, we often had um, races between Superman and the Flash, which I always loved. Uh, the first race occurred in Superman number 199 from 1967. Like many subsequent races, it was deemed a tie. There have been at least 10 races between the two in the DC comics, as well as in animated versions and one in the end credits of Justice League, the film. Flash has also raced Supergirl in the Arrowverse, and Clark Kent has raced Barry Allen on Smallville. That was uh, Season 4, Episode 5, entitled Run. And from the Mystery Men, we get Carol the Bowler. She's the daughter of Carmine the Bowler, and uh, Carol was played by Janine Garofalo, and we all kind of fell in love with her in that film, and I think we talked about wanting a... uh, uh, Carol the Bowler uh, sequel at some point. So who knows? Who knows? Absolutely. And there was something I was thinking of, and then I should have written it down. Oh, um, Battlestar Galactica uh-huh. um, had its, except we'll probably get into that in a minute um, because they had their their game in both versions. Like they had things like Triad. Some of these games, it's not just sports. We're also looking at uh, games and stuff like that. So, uh, they had, of course, various card games throughout many of these genre shows, uh, and even just playing poker, let alone triads and whatever the other, uh, game was that looked like a sort of a basketball or two on two or three on three game in the original series. But they also right. had a version on the, the remake that had Edward James almost in. Yeah. And I think uh, you have added a few things uh, as well. We were talking about um, uh, there, there were like there was racing and there was boxing and fighting um, in, in different shows. And uh, in episode one, one of the best things about uh, episode one Phantom Menace film was the pod race scene. Um, of course, all of Mad Max Fury Road is phenomenal for for that. Um, did you have any others to that list, David? Well, there was Dom Jot, uh, which was a game that was uh, played in Quark's place. And there's also a Dom Jot game where Picard ends up getting stabbed in the 
Lockhart by a Nausicaan in oh, one of God. their better um, episodes, uh, the Q episode where he puts him back in time to, and how important it was for him to actually experience that. Right. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't be the the person who was today. You know, uh, you don't want to hit someone on the head too much with uh, a message, but um, let me Unless see. Unless you're Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And I guess we've got things like, and, and one of the earlier ones, which actually did very well. And there's also a video game of Tron. Like, like, like I remember my brother Brian somehow defeating all the spiders. There's a spider in the actual game, like the actual uh-huh. Tron game. There was all these levels. Like you had the motorcycle one, you had the tanks and you had this one where there's this generator generating spiders you had to shoot these things at it i don't know how he did it but he somehow killed all of them and i'd never seen that before very yeah. weird yeah let's do, let's do that let's do the uh a little sort of sidebar discussion about like tron tron legacy and ready player one because it does go somewhere that's pretty interesting but still within the realm of our topic um Steven Lisberger was the writer and director of Disney's groundbreaking film Tron. The film was released in 1982. Both video games and home computers were still in their infancy, and both are a massive part of Tron's DNA. Not only was Tron about these new technologies, it was dependent on them. As a result, Tron has a unique look and feel. Kevin Flynn, played by the dude, Jeff Bridges, is a video game designer who is uploaded into a high-tech universe where he is forced to compete on the grid in order to survive. Tron Legacy was an uber-cool sequel to the original Disney film, but now with the benefits of 21st century CGI and Olivia Wilde. The 2010 film features more light cycle races as well as the game's high-tech gladiatorial events held in a massive arena. For my money, I'll take Tron Legacy over either of the Avatar films, but nobody's really asking me. Um, Ready Player One is a 2011 novel by Ernest Cline with a 2018 film adaptation directed by Steven Spielberg. The story revolves around a virtual game where the winner finds a hidden Easter egg and inherits the wealth of the game's creator. In the first level, as depicted in the film, we see the mother of all car races where contestants can choose the coolest vehicles ever put on films, such as Marty McFly's DeLorean. Well, I guess it's actually Doc's DeLorean, right? But whatever. The 1966 Batmobile, the 57 Plymouth Fury from Christine, uh, the Trans Am from Smokey and the Bandit, the V8 Interceptor from Mad Max Films. Uh, the van from the A-Team, Speed Racers Mach 5, even the 1961 Ferrari from Ferris Bueller is in there. Uh, to top it, to top it off, uh, its nerd appeal is given, um, this thing where the opening race sequence is interrupted by both Godzilla and King Kong. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. And that takes us into Esports, which David, I was totally unaware of until a few years ago. Well, before we get into that, I yeah. thought that we just mentioned just very quickly because I'm a bit of an Ashley Judd fan. When she played, I'm trying to remember the uh, the, the character name, but in the Next Generation episode, mm. but there was an actual episode called The Game, where basically they had these headsets with these little things that went into that 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 would something that you could look at, almost like a VR kind of thing that we have right. nowadays. 
but a bit more high tech. But it turns out that that was an issue because these things were just a way of taking over the crew. And, you know, and thank God for Data and Wesley saving the day. But that was kind of cool, just having a whole episode based on this game that people were playing. So sorry about interrupting there, but I thought I would want to throw that in there. And and you know what? You just reminded me, too, which I I meant to mention, that there was also a... um, a TOS, a, a Star Trek original series uh, episode, I believe, from season two called Bread and Circuses, where um, McCoy and Spock uh, have to fight this. Uh, it's like it's a like planet where Rome has continued. So they have all of the modern amenities that you would have had in 1966, including television. And so they televise these gladiatorial games uh, and Spock and uh, McCoy have to fight these gladiators on TV, um, which is pretty cool. Um, so esports. Um Esports have been with us for a long time, essentially as long as there have been video games. But in the 21st century, esports look a lot less like a high-tech meeting of a high school chess club and pretty much like any major league sports championship. Events are held in sold-out arenas. Fans wear the jerseys of their favorite players. There's betting, live broadcasts, opening ceremonies, celebrity anthem singers, superstar athletes, endorsements, impressive trophies, and huge championship paydays. Esports is real sports without the concussions and vague lower body injuries. If you don't believe me, check out the League of Legends YouTube channel. It will drop your jaw. Oh yeah, just a word on the Rocket League Championship Series. My adult children play this competitively. If you don't know, Rocket League is a video game that is like soccer with cars, so it manages to do what soccer can't do on its own. It's exciting. And games are five minutes long. Each competition you play, a best four to seven. It's simple, fast, and exciting. Um, So I, I think, you know, this is probably what Tron envisioned. This is sort of the future of sports. Um, Troy, did you say uh, uh, simple, fast, and exciting? Yes, I did. Just like Sorry. my love life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But anyways, so and one of the things that I wanted to throw in for a second was because uh, one thing I can't can't believe I left off, and I I'm trying to remember. I think it was Jonathan Lear some years ago said that he absolutely enjoyed the film Real Steel. The Hugh Jackman one where he and Hugh Jackman and his son are trying to fix up this older style robot and they would basically fight robots and they would actually have controllers. Oh, yeah. So the robots would fight in the ring. Right. And it's a better film than it should be. And it's very powerful, very emotional. It's probably something that more people would get out of it. If you are a parent, like like I'm not a parent, but I, of course, I was a uh, child to a parent kind of thing. So I get that sense from that perspective of what it's like to do this. So that kind of competition, real steel definitely is a genre film. Yeah. Um, And there was a twilight zone that was very similar to that as well. I I don't recall what it was called, but having just come off recently, our, our twilight zone shows, uh, I I did do a rewatch of it. And basically that was the premise. Um, and David, I do have a, a sort of a, a sort of a couple of quick Beatlesms for you in the sports realm, if you're interested. Yep, yep. 
So this one I, I had in mind, um, and then I sort of came across another one. In the 1968 film Yellow Submarine, which I've probably gone to maybe too often for my Beatlesisms, um, uh, but we hear the song Eleanor Rigby, and we get the images of a soccer team in red heading and kicking balls to and fro. Now, I wasn't sure at first if this was the English World World Cup squad from 66 or the Liverpool team. So I went to my pal Gavin, who is from Liverpool and is a hardcore uh, soccer guy. In fact, that's what he does for a living. He coaches soccer. And I asked him, and he confirmed that that was the Liverpool team. Um, now, while I was looking into this matter, I discovered that Spanish football team, soccer, uh, team Villarreal is nicknamed El Submarino Amarillo or Yellow Submarine. The fans sing the song during the games and they even have a Yellow Submarine mascot wandering around the pitch. Their stadium has been redesigned to look like a Yellow Submarine. And fans of Manchester, Manchester City and the Premier League also sing Hey Jude during games. Um, and Hey Jude is also deeply entrenched in Stephen King's Dark Tower series. So uh, there's some Beatlesms for you relating to sports. Well, I'm, glad so, you got, I'm glad you got that in there. And and I know we're nearing the end here, but also uh, Starship yeah. Troopers, which strangely enough is probably a better film than it should be. Yeah. Um, other than I do think I, and I may have mentioned this before, but I do think that Denise Richards may have injured herself from smiling too much. <laughs> um, it's quite possible, but there yes. was uh, some sports in, uh, the Starship Troopers, um, um, thing. I, I mean, there's, I mean, we're both fans of sports and there's team building, there's this and that and this whole, thing that they've done not everywhere and it's not not widespread but this idea of not keeping score doesn't matter who wins you don't want to hurt people's feelings there's an idea of actually winning and how what it feels like to actually accomplish things to work as a team to a goal and to actually accomplish it that matters and and i think warp in an early seat early episode of of um next generation when I think it might have been Deanna said, well, it's just a game. And then his response was, then why keep score? So I always like these sort of Worf moments, you know, it was like, like good tea. You know, what do you think, Worf? And he says, good tea, nice house. You know, these kinds of things. He was very yeah. much a poet, I think. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and one thing, and this is sort of what, what started this whole thing off for me was because I always love references to, to uh, stuff in genre films like sports. So, and this may be completely wrong, but I remember in the original Total Recall, again, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, there was a reference very early on. Cause they have these whole, you know, he's, he's there. There's a, a bedroom and there's Sharon Stone and they've got full screen. Like the whole walls are actually screens, TV screens. And there was a reference. There was some announcer saying, and the, what do you call it, game, the, the fourth game of the World Series played between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Tokyo Giants. Uh, so I remember that that jumped cool. out at me as a cool, because they were trying to emphasize the, I, the, the world nature of baseball at that point. And of yeah, course, the Tokyo Giants a were a real team. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Well, what I love about uh, a great game of team sports is the potential for an unknown outcome or an exciting comeback. Those 
kind of, wow, did you see that moments? Uh, on the downside, there's always the possibility for a total collapse that can be soul-sucking, even infuriating. Those are the times when I need to turn on like a Twilight Zone episode or a Planet of the Apes film. Lucasfilm, at its worst, can't hurt me the way the Toronto Maple Leafs have. <laughs> you know what? They combine, like, like <laughs> combine all the genres, including horror, um, quite to quite in a quite a degree. I mean, I think Stephen King would be impressed at the horror that has been caused by the various Toronto Maple Leaf teams over the years. <laughs> it, um, there must be an explanation. You know, because it defies logic. Like, you have to start thinking about things like curses or uh, what's the phenomenon, David, when time, like, repeats itself? It's, say, like, in a weird Yeah, cycle. like a time loop almost. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Um, there's just no explaining it logically. It's like it's like in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern where they're flipping the coin and it keeps coming up. I forget if it's heads or tails, but it keeps coming up on one of them. And then and they're saying, you know... Only, like you can only do this so often before it has to come up on the other side, but they yeah. keep doing it yeah. and it never does. And I feel like that's, that's where it's uh, with, with the Leafs. Yeah. Or Batman calling, calling edge instead of heads or tails when the Joker <laughs> does that. But part of what's the, 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 the nutty thing. And, and again, we shouldn't be doing all this Canadianisms and maybe a Toronto center or whatever it is, but you know, we grew up with sort of like the, the lease and the lease last one in 67 now and that was the pre-expansion there were six teams at the time they they made it 12 right the following season but can you imagine back then if you were watching that game and, and not realizing this is the last time because they had already won in 62 and 63 and 60 whatever it was and that was like their 18th cut whatever and they were already ahead of montreal at the time i think that which i think they 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 were surpassed but to think that I can't remember how long the are. I'm sure the Argos have been around longer, but imagine this. Oh yeah. The Jays started in like 77 or whenever it was, and they won two championships in 92, 93. The Raptors started later and they won a championship just a few years ago. So these are teams that never existed when the, when the Leafs last won a cup in 67, the Raptors didn't exist. Oh the yeah. Blue Jays didn't exist. And those have both, from scratch, have gone on and won cha a championship each. Right. In fact, with the with the uh, uh, with the uh, Jays two in a row. Yeah, and you know, when you think about the Jays two, like about sixty seven, and you go, okay, sorry, Beatles, but the Beatles are still around. Uh, man had not gone to the moon yet. Clearly, no cell phones, no computers. Um, it's just remarkable. It was a different world. And here's the thing that really gets me. Okay. We have not won the Stanley Cups in 67, but we also haven't even competed for the Stanley Cups in 67. That's correct, because the closest we've come, I think twice we got to the final four. Uh, my favorite player was Lanny McDonald. And back in 77, 78 with Mike Palmatier and the rest of the group, they did get to the semifinal, the final four. They didn't get to the finals, the final four, and they lost in four straight games, one in double overtime to Montreal and one in overtime to Montreal of the four. And then in around 93 or so, the Doug Gilmore, yeah. Wendell Clark. 92, Clark 93, man. and 93, yeah. 94. Yeah. Yeah, and Toronto fans, of course, remember 
the the um, penalty that should have been called on a certain player from Edmonton, um, and of course oh. a certain a certain referee that that had it in for the Leafs and all can, that stuff. Can I tell you that I recently had a uh, interaction with Will Wheaton online about all of this, where he posted the day after the Leafs were eliminated, uh, he posted something like. Um, Here's to all those who celebrate uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Elimination Day. <laughs> and and I sort of sent him uh, something back about the whole Terry Frazier thing. Mm. Uh, and because he was like, oh, they still can't get over the losing to L.A. Um, and, and then I said that I wished that uh, Kiefer Sutherland had kept or I'm, no. Now I'm glad that Kiefer Sutherland kept your New York Yankees hat from Stand By Me. <laughs> and uh, I didn't get a response back from that one, though. So, uh, David, I was thinking that, uh, you know, again, I wanted to thank you for this season that uh, we're just wrapping up. And again, thanks the fans for being out there and listening. Um, and just to sort of like acknowledge that, you know, you and I have had quite a rough go this year. And so it's kind of remarkable that we got through the season at all. Um, you know, we both sort of uh, have, have been in the, in the calendar year, have both been through some uh, serious hospital stays. And, um, you know, we've lost some folks that were very, very close to us. Um, and you know, we would like to dedicate this episode to them. Um, and I guess uh, by name, we've got uh, Lino Diorio, who is my father-in-law, Alexa Carroll, who is your wife, uh, Tina Francisco, who is a, a good friend. And um, I want to put out a little prayer to my uh, mom out in Halifax. Hope she's doing better soon. Um and uh, yeah, thanks to everybody for listening. Eh? Yeah, and um, we're going to be taking a break. So this one, I think the second part is, I can't remember what I said. Maybe it was July 10th or something or July 8th or 6th. Who knows what the heck. Yeah. But we'll be taking a, we've been doing this recently. just having a couple month break at the end. So we are going to be rejuvenated. We'll have, we've already got some ideas for season five. Um, and if you can believe that, like we've already got four seasons of 14 episodes each. And, and the fact that we did that live show, the 50th anniversary one, the, the, the special April Fool's Day one. And, and the fact that we're going to have a lot of, uh, fun and good episodes starting in September, October, whenever we come back, I think we're moving to audacity. We're going to be fixing up some things, um, getting better and stronger. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to have a very good, um, a run of it and hopefully eventually maybe even get to that, that hundredth episode down the, down the line. Who knows? Yeah. Looking forward to that. It's a good goal to have. Yeah. But anyways, thank you uh, so much, Troy, for being the, my uh, partner in crime when it comes to this, uh, uh, podcast. And you- that is our spec sports spectacular. If you can say that five times and fast. Yeah. Please remember to catch us on your favorite podcast provider. Um, I I listen on Spotify. Um, and uh, check out our website where all of the shows 
R and there's uh, lots of fun things there. It's two numeric two of.ca and on Facebook, lots of good things there always. And please join us. Feel free to uh, contribute to the conversation and please tell a friend like and subscribe. I am David Plank. And I am Troy Arkin. See you all next season for Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi. Yeah.